Hey everybody, welcome to another awesome virtual Sunday at Different Church. My name is Jarrett. I just want to say welcome. Hope you're having an awesome day. And if you're not, I hope it gets better starting right now. How was your week? Hopefully it was really good. Mine was good. The uh, NFL draft was this week. And that's something I look forward to all year. And it was really cool to actually be able to do something that I normally do. Uh, if you're like me, you're probably really... Uh, itching to do something that you normally do other than just sitting around in your pajamas which is what we normally do now and hopefully you're doing that right now because pajamas are awesome but anyway enough about that we're super excited about uh, today's message we've got a cool song at the end of the service so make sure you stick around for that not a whole lot of announcements we are doing another zoom meeting this week it's gonna be on Thursday night so far we've done trivia we've done bingo this past week, we just did a spaghetti dinner, which is really cool. I'm not sure what's on the menu for this week. Could be a game, could be just happy hour or something. But if you want, if you want to come, let us know in the comments. We'll uh, hunt you down and make sure you get the invite to come to our Zoom game night. Uh, one other thing I want to tell you about is diff.church on your cell phone. Just pull your phone out if you're watching on your computer and type in diff.church. It's a really cool way to connect with us. You can kind of let us know what you think of the service what things are cool, what things aren't as cool, what we could do better. You can tell us how you heard about us. At some point, we're gonna start small groups. Let us know what part of town you're in. We could build a small group right around you. And that's also the best place to go to give. And the biggest thing we need right now as a young church, especially in these weird corona times, is anyone who wants to uh, give on a monthly basis. Uh, that's it. I think it's pretty much time to hear Hannah now. But before we do that, I wanted to say, sort of live from St. Pete, it's Different Church! It's Different Church, sort of live. We'd like to say good morning to... Caleb. Dave. Josiah. Mike and his Transformer Dolls. Don't forget about Rich. Hey, there's Stephanie, the Different Church Band. And of course, your host, Pastor Hannah. Hello friends and welcome to another Sunday service of Different Church. My name is Hannah. I am the pastor of Different Church and I'm so excited that you are here joining us again on what I hope will be a sunny Sunday. <laughs> I'm recording this obviously a little bit earlier than Sunday and it has been raining since 5 a.m. So if you hear thunder in the background, uh, it's not like God sending you a message. It's definitely just the weather, <laughs> which I find very funny <laughs> and very calming. So today we actually get to read a passage and discuss a passage that's, um, I would say, fairly familiar to a lot of people. It is the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and this is found in Acts chapter 2. We are actually going to read verses 22 through 32 together, and then we'll discuss. But before I do that, I have a trivia question for you. Bible trivia. If you know the answer to this question, comment below in the Facebook feed, and that way... While I'm reading this passage, you can comment below, and then I will give you the answer after the passage is done being read. This is the question. How many miles away was the town of Emmaus from Jerusalem? 
How many miles away was the town of Emmaus from Jerusalem? Let's read together. We're going to pick up in verse 13. Two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, a good ways from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they were talking and discussing these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But they did not recognize him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you're walking along? And they stopped short, sadness written all over their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, are you the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that happened in the last few days? What things, Jesus asked. Sidebar, that's hilarious. <laughs> These disciples clearly don't recognize Jesus, even though they're his disciples. And then Jesus just pretends to have no idea what they're talking about. I find that very funny. Moving on. <laughs> the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles. He was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and the people, but our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and he was crucified. We had hoped he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel, but this only happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with a crazy report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus was alive. Some of our men ran to see, and sure enough, the body was gone, just like the women said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all of these things before entering into his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and of all the prophets, explaining the scriptures to them, the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going to go on, but they begged him, stay the night with us. It's getting late. So he went home with them and they sat down to eat. He took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. This is the word of God for the people of God. Now, if you know the trivia answer <laughs> and you commented below, you get, I don't know, a round of applause if you got it right. The answer to how far the town of Emmaus was away from Jerusalem is seven miles Seven miles is the answer. Now, let's think through this passage. At first glance, this is kind of a heartbreaking story. These are two disciples who are just bitterly disappointed and hopeless. They're making this long journey home, and a stranger comes to them while they're walking these seven miles back home to Emmaus. I would say at normal walking speed, that would probably take two and a half hours for us nowadays. So maybe factor in road conditions, etc., things like that. So two and a half to three hours it would take them to get home if they didn't stop at all. And this stranger who overtakes them on the road seemingly has no clue what happened <laughs> in Jerusalem in the last three days. And here we hear this devastation in the voice of Cleopas, who says simply, we hoped he was the Messiah. We hoped he was the one to rescue Israel. And we, on the other side, we laugh at Cleopas, right? We're like... Of course, Jesus is written. What a bunch of idiots. They are walking on the road literally next to Jesus and not recognizing who Jesus is. How could you not recognize the person you've been following for several years? But perhaps instead of doing that, we should pause and walk 
in their shoes for a moment because their hopes are crushed completely. They had believed Jesus was the one. And what would the one have looked like? So the hope for the Messiah, this Messiah that they were waiting on and the Jews were waiting on, was for a person who would free the population. One Messiah, certainly a man, (laughs) certainly rich, a man with an army, a man with uh, power and authority over an army to command them. And all of this should be conjuring up images of King David of old, because that is what they wanted the Messiah to be. This Messiah would do the hard work, they would overthrow the empire, and then everyone would be free and we could have a celebration. But actually, it seems like what they wanted was not to actually change the system, but to get on top of it instead. And of course, they're used to that way. They're theologically and educationally molded to think that way. And we are actually just like this. So before we judge them, (laughs) we kind of have to examine our place in history and our time and see how we react in the same way. Because we often wait for a singular Messiah-like figure to come and save us from their position of power. We still expect change to come from the top down as if Appointing or electing one person can somehow redeem our entire futures. We still believe often that our redemption will come from becoming experts in the very rules that we want to change, instead of creating and thinking up entirely new alternatives together. In so many ways, we look for redemption, but the lens of the empire is across our face. It clouds our view. Even our understanding of who God is, where God is, what God is, this is shaped by the dominant forces in our world. And it can keep us just like these two from recognizing Christ among us, around us, or even within us. Even if Christ is right there, it can keep us from recognizing it at all. So we can forgive these two disciples for feeling hopeless and not recognizing Jesus because they had a vision of God. They they had an idea of what God looked like. And it was anything, anything but a vision of a person who was beaten and murdered by the state. Now, there's some reports saying the tomb is empty, but what does that matter? Rome still stands. Israel is still occupied. The Roman soldiers, the state police, they're everywhere. They're bent on suppressing any whiff of rebellion. For these two disciples walking home to Emmaus, they're The revolution failed. Their leader has been killed. And what's worse, somebody stole the body. The state has won. There is nothing left to do. There's nothing left for them to do except go home, kicking themselves for daring to ever have hope. And then on the way home, they encounter this stranger who like patiently explains the scriptures and prophecies to them while they walk. He claims to know nothing of the events that took place in Jerusalem, but yet he takes them through their own Bible and points out all the things that support and explain why things happened the way they did with Jesus. I have quite, like, I know we're only getting like a tiny little piece of the narrative. We're getting like 10 verses for this whole story, but I want to know, like, they still didn't recognize him. He claims to know nothing about what happened with Jesus, and then he gives them a dissertation on how Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. Why aren't they noticing? They still don't notice. It's not till the very end of the story. So they're walking. Jesus is explaining the scripture to them. 
it's not the first time they've heard these teachings. They're familiar stories. They're familiar scriptures. They're um, the interpretations. They've heard things about this Hebrew Bible before. It's their Bible. It's their sacred scripture. But on this side of the crucifixion, they're feeling the lessons differently. They're feeling them in their bones. It says their hearts burn as Jesus opens the scriptures to them. And I think that applies to us too. <laughs> For better or worse, it's easier to like listen backwards. Perhaps another way to say this would be hindsight is 2020. It's much easy, much easier for us to listen with more clarity, to listen with more understanding, to listen with more wisdom after our hearts are involved. Unfortunately, that means that there often has been damage already done. So here's a few examples of this. We may come to finally believe the teachings of feminist, womanist, or mujerista prophets in our culture who unveil this violence of patriarchy only after we have experienced it ourselves or we have come, our loved one, someone we love dearly has come into contact or encountered violence from this way, right? So we may be like, brush it off, no big deal. I don't need to learn about that. I don't need to listen. Everyone's making a big deal out of this until it actually impacts our own life. We may come to finally hear the teachings of liberation theology only when we have witnessed firsthand the violence that has been enacted against people of color. We may come to stand up for inclusion and affirmation only when we discover that there are members of the LGBT plus community in our families, in our homes, in our communities that are dear to us, and then we see the discrimination that they face. We may come to finally understand our own destructive and unhealthy patterns after experiencing the consequences of our actions. And on and on. <laughs> so it goes, right? This is, seems to be what we do. At least until we see the pattern, we recognize it, and then we work to stop doing that. <clears throat> we don't need to wait until we have a personal experience with trauma to open our hearts to prophets, open our hearts to truth tellers, these disciples could have believed the entire time. They could have known how this would play out. They could be in Jerusalem with the other believers if they had just understood and heard the prophets. But Jesus doesn't give up on them. <laughs> he follows them down this road for hours, talking on the way to Emmaus. And he patiently goes through the scriptures and explains it. And their hearts burn. And I, I tend to think like we've experienced this too. Have you ever had that feeling when someone says something about faith or either it's on a podcast or a sermon or in a one-on-one -on -one conversation or a small group and you've just never thought about it in that way before and it's like this like oh, a light bulb moment like wow i've never thought about it in that way before this is what these disciples are experiencing they're coming to understand everything from an entirely new angle through the lens of jesus what was hidden before to them is now unveiled they see finally, <laughs> what was right in front of them the whole time, and they see it differently. And isn't that what faith in Jesus can do for us? To see finally what is right in front of us the whole time and understand it differently? To see ourselves and understand that we're redeemed, to see the world and understand that it is good, to see the difference that we can make? But they have all this teaching, they still don't recognize Jesus. So when do they finally recognize Jesus? It's not till they get home. And what is the mechanism? Why then? 
Or do they suddenly recognize who Jesus is after talking with him for like three hours? They know, because they're Jesus' disciples, <laughs> if they paid attention at all, they would have known these teachings. Welcome the stranger, share what they have, offer hospitality. But it is not until they start practicing the very thing that they learned from Jesus that they are able to recognize who Jesus is. That is crucial to this story. And this story typically goes down the path of Jesus leaves the 99 to go after the one. He doesn't give up on anyone. True. All of that is true. But I think we're missing the point. We're a little bit when we, when we skim past that they didn't recognize who Jesus was until they put into practice what Jesus had taught them about caring for people. They became the host. They invited in this stranger that they just met. They asked him not just to have a meal, but to actually stay there at night. They ate together. They shared what they had. They feasted. And this, these are practices of love and generosity and hospitality. This enables them finally to see who Jesus is. And this is like the most wonderful and hopeful part of the message to me because it applies to us. These poor disciples finally recognized Jesus and he had been there with them the whole time. And we too, we also can perceive the sacred among us when we are practicing these generous ways of God that are run counter to everything dead around us. We don't actually have to unlearn all the negative things we've been taught to start on this journey. Now, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> we can look back and see with greater understanding, right? So people who come after us will certainly see our shortcomings. They will certainly see where we didn't go far enough, where we, where we failed in many aspects. They will see us just as we can look back and see in our ancestors of the faith where they had prejudices and biases and they had those as well, even among those who were truth tellers and freedom fighters and healers. But that doesn't mean just because we can't be perfect right now or that we are doing some deep soul work ourselves to work through our trauma, to work through our mess, that doesn't mean that we can't actually put this into practice right now. <clears throat> we can start doing what Jesus taught us to do. We can offer hospitality and inclusion to everyone. And in doing that, that will begin to make us unlearn all these destructive ways and destructive ideas about God and each other that we have been internalizing over the years. Some of the messages from the empire, right? It's us versus them. There's only one spot at the top. If you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> if you're not contributing, you're worthless. All of these messages that are ingrained in our minds, we can begin to unlearn those when we practice hospitality and gener and the generous ways of God with each other. Now, we are so used to God approaching us in only one way. And these disciples were so used to Jesus approaching them in only one way that they couldn't recognize God when God was standing in front of them. So we are so used to God approaching us or to, to seeing God as a man, always a man, <laughs> um, as an authority, as a respectable abled body, able, able bodied person. We don't generally say things like that, right? But it's in our psyche. We tend to imagine God this way as like a strong male presence, like a leader in, in the, any sphere that we can imagine God in. 
And there's nothing wrong with that, but I wonder if perhaps we are missing actual encounters with God because we can only see God in one way. And when God shows up to us looking differently, we don't recognize. We don't recognize the Christ in another person. And this this is not a new thing, right? The church has been participating in the practice of reimagining what God looks like apart from our cultural norms for centuries. We can actually, in doing this, encounter God, encounter the divine in completely unexpected places, in completely unexpected things and ideas and people. One example of this, like trying to reimagine God, is if any of you have ever read the book The Shack, there is an image of God in that book that is completely counter to the image that I just gave of a, of a man, usually a white man, <laughs> um, kind of this strong domineering presence. It's the opposite. It is a woman of color, a black woman, and she is gentle and has this beautiful spirit. And so many people connected with that version, with that imagination of God, who would not have connected with this imagination of God that we have. And just because our imagination of God happens to be the cultural norm, it doesn't make it the right one. And that's what I think we probably need to think about when we, whenever we picture God, because I'm going to ask you to do like a little bit of a mental exercise and stay with me to the end, even if it makes you a little uncomfortable. Picture God in your mind. Like, what does God look like? What does Jesus look like? Maybe we can start with that. What does Jesus look like in your mind? And then picture Jesus, picture God as having a different face, having the face of the other. And by the other, I mean someone who is different than you. If you're white, picture a black God or an Asian God or a Hispanic God. If you're male, picture a feminine God. Now, I said this in our Christmas podcast, but remember, and I feel like this gets overlooked so often, remember that the presence of the divine, the presence of the almighty redeemer God, who is the savior of the universe, was felt at one point in history as morning sickness in the belly of Mary, who was trying, struggling through hormones, trying to carry her baby to turn. So it's not crazy to imagine God having a feminine face. Both male and female come from God, right? And everything in between. If you're able-bodied, picture Jesus disabled. If you're straight, picture a queer God. If you're well enough to live indoors and have food on your table for every meal, picture a homeless God. You can picture God in the face of anything that you are not, but God is in the face of this, of the other people who don't look like us. But God is always, always in the face of the poor, the oppressed, and the marginalized. If you want to know where God is, God is with the poor, the poor and the poor in spirit. So one of the kickbacks that usually comes from this <laughs> is from this exercise is the statement, well, that's not an accurate picture of God because God, Jesus wasn't actually Asian or Jesus wasn't actually a woman. True. It's not technically accurate, right? However, most of our pictures of God and Jesus, the paintings, the artwork, the sculptures, they're not accurate either, right? They're imaginings. They are imaginations from people who are wondering what God looks like. And they're, they're generally painting God to look like 
themselves. But I invite us as a community to paint God who looks like someone else. Why? What I am putting forth to you is that the reason that we do this imagining is so that we can actually continue the process in service to others, in hospitality to others, just like these two disciples showed. Jesus said, whenever you care for the least of these, any of these really, you have done this for God. In caring for others, we will find that we encounter the divine. It's going to happen. That God will occupy that space when we care for others in ways that we could never possibly imagine. And if we start the process by beginning to imagine Jesus looking like the other person, looking differently than us, then it's going to be harder for us to harm other people, both personally and in supporting policies that harm people and deny their rights and deny their equal access. These two disciples, they fled Jerusalem. They were like, I'm sad, I'm hopeless, there's, no, there's nothing left for me here. They're just weighed down with grief. And they just thought they could find an easier, calmer reality if they just went home. But the problem is wherever they go, just like us, wherever we go, we take ourselves. <laughs> so they're not getting away from anything by leaving Jerusalem. They're taking their sadness with them. They're taking their grief with them. They go looking for an escape, just like we do when life feels impossible. But Jesus didn't let them get very far. <laughs> In fact, Jesus was with them the entire time. The whole journey, Jesus was with him, even though they didn't recognize. And God is with us now, even if we're not recognizing. And Jesus helped them see clearly and find hope. And then they recognize him and then he disappears, right? So Jesus helps them understand but he doesn't make the decision for them. The disciples, these two people, they are the ones who decide to turn around and go back to Jerusalem. They made that decision themselves. Because, why? Because their hearts burned as Jesus walked with them, reminding them of the things that they once believed. Their hearts burned as the teachings that Jesus was saying uncovered these memories in their souls and in their spirits. Memories of things like truth and justice and healing and love. Their hearts burned while they were at the table, practicing the very things that they learned from Jesus. And so they were reoriented and regrounded in the things that are about more than just promises of normal and safe. They remembered and encountered those deeper things. The ways of faith that make them feel alive again even though the shadow of death, the shadow of the empire was looming over them, they remembered the deeper truths that Jesus had taught them. Basically what happened is the empire, the empire of death, stretched a hand out to them and said, here's a road out. Take the easy way out. Here's a road. Just walk away. But then they encountered this stranger who walked down the road of the empire with them and they discovered that he'd been there all along. And so they, they pushed the empire's hand away. And instead, they reach out their hand to God. And they go back to Jerusalem. And like these two, who invite a stranger when, when they didn't know what else to do. <laughs> they didn't know what else to do. They were going home. They were depressed. They were walking on the road with someone. They're like, it's dark outside. It's dangerous out there. Just come eat and be safe with us. They practiced such small, ordinary things ways of hospitality. 
And in doing so, God was revealed. And we can do the same thing. We, if we practice the things that we hope for, if we practice the things that we want to see in the world, in small and ordinary ways, we can trust that God will be revealed among us. And so now, as we always do, <laughs> we're gonna end our time with a benediction, this blessing slash prayer for us as we go into the last week of April. And then actually we have a treat. We have a special song from the Different Church Band that we'll play at the end. And it's a song of hope. And perhaps we really need that this week. I know this week has been really strange. <laughs> a lot of uncertainty this week, a lot of things going on. So <laughs> the song is called, We're Gonna Be All Right. And it's just, a, it's just a delightful song and the band does a wonderful job. So I invite you to stick around and listen to that um, because we are going to be all right, especially if we practice what Jesus has taught us. So let us pray and then we will sing a beautiful music. Beloved God, we give you thanks for all the prophets who bring truth to the surface. Help us listen to their wisdom even when it makes us uncomfortable. Give us courage to hear with hearts open to transformation. Though our hearts may be weary, just like these two disciples, the Spirit still sends us with hope. There is an opportunity before us to live differently, to practice radical love, to turn together away from systems that destroy us and our neighbors. May the presence of Christ abide among us and in us and keep our hearts burning for justice and truth as we practice God's generous ways. With peace, God sends us to make it so. Amen. Thank you for being here, friends. Um, it has been lovely chatting with you, and we will see you next week for another Different Church Sunday service. It's okay to fear, it's okay when you feel small and you're okay right here. It's okay when you feel nothing at all and it's okay to find out what you thought you had ain't what you got and it's okay to doubt, to learn what you think ain't what you thought and we are always in motion like the winds, the tides, the oceans, every day I'm born again. I wake up and I feel that second wind We're gonna be alright, we're gonna be alright I see the look in your eyes We're gonna be alright We're gonna be alright, we're gonna be alright Take a look at the sky We're gonna be alright It's okay to grieve It's okay to learn to fall And it's okay to believe to admit that you're human after all and it's okay to heal all of the scars that are buried deep inside and it's okay to feel to see all the things you've been trying to hide we are always in motion like the winds the tides the oceans every day i'm born again i wake up and i feel that second wind say we're gonna be all right we're gonna be all